secure your Victory Club Half membership now for the 2022-23 season. Receive tickets to 20 Stars home games, plus exclusive perks, great flexibility, and big savings. Learn more at DallasStars.com slash Victory Club. Welcome to the Podman Rush, the official podcast of the Dallas Stars. Here's your host, Daryl Razor Ray. Well, hey, everybody. Look at us. We're all fresh as daisies now. We've had a, what, a week off, I guess, or a week and a half. And uh, the old Podman Rush is back to wrap up what we witnessed and were a part of the visceral experience that is the Stanley Cup playoffs with the Dallas Stars. And chock full of pessimism and optimism. That That is our goal in this version. Am I not correct, Mike? And you're, you're a huge part of the optimism part of this thing, Mike Heike, from DallasStars.com, senior writer of... Yes, yes, I am. Uh, and, and my pendulum has been swinging, uh, you know, just to use a euphemism. Uh, <laughs> I was getting, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> wow. So, so I did, I started out negative. Um, you know, you, you want to assess all of these things as honestly as possible because now's the time to do it. If you're going to make changes, you need to be honest about what you are. Uh, but I also started looking back over the past couple of weeks or week and a half and um, there were some good things that got done. And and then for me, the best thing is the good thing is the future. Wow. That was a blanket statement of, it of inconsequence there. It well, seemed like. I, I always do details and you go, well, we'll get to that later. Oh, do I? Yeah. Well, the intent was to just sort of wrap up the playoffs yeah. and talk about some players, maybe suggest some needs, chat up the brand and debate who is going to win it all. And we'll get to that. We'll hey, speaking that, of the brand, I'm going to throw you off. I'm going to throw you off real quick. Did you see that K-pop singer wearing a Dallas Stars yeah, jersey? Yeah, I did. You're, like, where did that come I, from? I, that was a non sequitur for me. I know. I, I figured my Brad thumb, Albert. Brad my Albert's thumb couldn't flick quick enough to get past it. I was just like, "What?" <laughs> I don't think it's directed toward you and me. No, I don't it's think so. It's a different. It's a different market. Look, we'd be remiss if we didn't start with the sweeping changes to the coaching staff starting with uh, Rick Bonus, and you wrote a lovely piece on Bones. Do you care to kind of cliff note version it here? I just, he had to go through a lot of stuff. Um, you know, right from the start, I know the organization doesn't like to talk about the uh, Jim Montgomery situation, but talk about shocking. I mean, a guy gets removed in December uh, and, you know, basically suspended um, and then now your assistant who hasn't been a head coach in 18 years is now running the whole thing. And then put on top of that, the fact that you have to change the entire assistant coaching staff, basically their responsibilities. Um, you know, Rick hadn't been coaching forwards. Uh, John Stevens came in as a friend of Jim Montgomery and wasn't coaching defensemen at the time. And now all of a sudden, boom, you have to adjust all that. Then once you get it going, although they were, what, 04 and 2 before the COVID hit, uh, now you got to go to COVID. And then I, I'm very impressed with what they did to get ready for the bubble and then to perform in the bubble. And, it, you know, it, it's not a true indicator of are you a good hockey team, but 
everybody was up there trying to win, and they found a way to get to the Stanley Cup final, and they found a way by coaching, I think, by changing some things, by keeping the players motivated. They certainly had help from people like Jamie Benn uh, in keeping the players motivated uh, because from I wasn't there, but from everything I heard, it wasn't the funnest 59 days in the world. Um, and so for them to be able to battle through all that, to play in an arena with no fans, to, you know, to, to try and get to that level of intensity and then, you know, and then win um, with, you know, if you look at the numbers, the numbers aren't just fantastic. They're good, but they won at key moments and their key players stepped up and yada, yada, yada. Uh, and then after that, going through again, more COVID. Is this the Cliff Notes version or is this the full? The no, long I'm, I'm form. wrapping it up right now. But the, the bubble thing to me was really impressive. And then the, to then restructure, reconnoiter, come back with an 82-game season. Um, the disappointment at the end is why he's gone. Uh, and his age, I think 67, you know, you get to a point where you just oh, have to you're into ageism now, are you? Yes, I am. I am. Um, I just think, you know, the, the, the actual end result is why they had to make adjustments. It always but, is. Yeah. But I think the process to get there, you look at it and you're going like, you know what? It, it wasn't horrible. Uh, they did good things. They played well in the playoffs. Now, a lot of it was Jake, um, but they got Jake up and running and, <laughs> Against their own good judgment, they got him up and running, I guess, because, you know, I don't think that was their plan initially. But they adjusted, and and uh, he did a wonderful job. And um, I just think that the, the – I don't think that this should be looked at as a terrible performance by Rick. I think this should be looked at – he should be proud of what he did. It was really hard to do. I'm sure he is. Yeah. And I agree. Look. When when you get outshot sixty four to twenty eight in your final game, change is coming. Let's not yeah. get ourselves. And we'll talk lots more about Jake uh, and that. But I like I agree. I I said it on the ticket at the end of the season. I wrote a quick note on on Twitter because I am active on the Soch about Bones because the, look. He's one of the very finest people in our game and in the league, and he has been for five decades. He's never changed. Like, he's never changed hmm. with success and struggles. Like, you can go back and talk with, with Andy Moog, who played for him in Boston way back in the day, and he was the same guy coaching the Bruins and probably got him done in then because he's, he's such a player's coach, and his – his uh, degree of fairness that he brings to the job, unfortunately, in this business. Again, I'll, I'll echo what you were saying because that is exactly what they needed through the tumult that they faced. Like, he was perfect. People, I, I don't know if people understand fully how important and how perfectly matched he was for the moment because there, there are times in – in sports, not just in hockey, where your coach or your leaders need to be kick asses. They they need to get after people, and it it needs to be driven into them to a different level, and and all that. And then there are times when you you need a hugger, like you you need someone that that can swaddle them, and and help them along that way. And that was certainly basically the past two and a half years or whatever, because. The, the firing of Monty just came out of nowhere. And 
I, I think people would be lying if they didn't say they were going to that Rick was going to be a, a play a holding place for the position through the end of the year and may and then revisit it after that. But when you when you get thrown all the the curves that they got thrown with COVID and everything else, the bubble, and then you go all the way to the final like that, then it changes all of that. And whether it was fully believed that that this was still the right thing in that, I you'd have to talk to the people that wear suits and sit up in the nether reaches in that. Hey, but that, that's me. That is you. We'll talk to you then. <laughs> but to to handle all the the weirdness of COVID, the the bizarre nature of that bubble up there. And look, they caught break after break. The the bubble's the bubble. It, yep. It's a that that's a that that was a it was a freak show. But they were they were really good. They they were really good in the freak show. Like they they had an ability to block out stuff that buckled good teams. There were some good teams that went up there and they're like, no, we're not about this. And they were gone. Poof. Yep. So there, there was a, again, I, I think his touch and it, it was perfect for the moment. Then you get into the weirdness of a, of a schedule with no fans and you're playing the same teams over and over again. I mean, that's an unbelievable challenge for coaching staffs. To ju- here they are again. Oh, you know what they do? They played Detroit four times in a row, didn't they? Something in the regular like season, yeah. Two there, two here. And on top of that, you have pauses because everybody's everybody's positive with with uh, COVID. And then you throw in an ice storm and and just the oddity of of that and and how it changed the schedule. And we heard about the schedule enough, and you and I would kid about it sometimes. I mean. You understood where where Bones was coming from in that, but you're at the same time you're sitting there going, you know, everyone plays the same number of games. Yeah. It's not like you're playing 111 and everybody else is playing 82, and it's all happening in the same amount of time, for the most part. Although there was again this year, there was one extra game when the season was over, and all of a sudden the Kraken are playing the Jets. <laughs> it was just like what. <laughs> They couldn't even put out the final stats in this league until the Kraken played the Jets after all of the playoff uh, matchups were already set and everybody else was done. But anyway, I digress. Uh, it, yeah, he, he was he was perfect because it was so unprecedented and awkward and challenging. Uh, and, but then you, you get down to the, the nuts of it uh, here this year, you know, the last half on into the playoffs and or even the start i guess they stumbled out of the gates and got going but it was it was primarily overtime driven uh that that they were able to to cobble together 98 points and and get themselves in and i've said this before and i think it's one of the greatest statements out there that statistics accuse analytics indict and video convicts and that that sort of the thing. And all these guys, whether, whether they are championship uh, coaches or uh, builder coaches with young teams or, you know, whatever angle you want to go at, there's a reason why they, 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 I mean, this is an unbelievable league for, for just disposable coaching, isn't it? 
It's the easiest. Like, it's the easiest change to make. Like so, there has to be two edges to that sword. Then, right? One is it's insane that they just discard coaches at the rate that they do, but at the same time, they all get hired again. <laughs> so, yeah. so they're they're. It's almost like the coach's version of when the cap first came in. I remember the statement about when the cap came in. It was like, you you should never be more than three years away from challenging for the Stanley Cup, and you should never be more than three years away from perhaps picking first overall in a cap world. Right. And you're like, okay, so you're telling me it's going to be a roller coaster. And that's essentially what the coaching fraternity is now. They... You, you have a good run for a while, and you're great, and then all of a sudden eh, it feels stale, and they need a different flavor back there. And it, it happens everywhere, and it, it has happened here where that Rick and, and the entire coaching staff that, that got them through, they were almost like on a friggin' ship coming from across the Atlantic or something back in the days of, of uh, gold bullion and what have you. Where they had to get they had to get through these storms and navigate off stars and the moon and play you know tides and all this crap and ultimately they got over and you probably need somebody else to push in inland now yeah and that's uh, that that that's my diatribe on it um, I and I he's probably ready for some kind of a different challenge too in, in some ways so well and and a, you know he has he is a really good guy who keeps his ego in check uh but i also think he didn't enjoy the criticism uh because i i don't believe that he believed the criticism was totally fair and so even at the end there you know when he, at his press conference he's going you're gonna miss me when i'm gone like you know he saw the writing on the wall and then he also i think heard the booze in the stadium and um you know i think that sometimes, whether it's fans or you know critics or whatever, uh, you you get on a roll and and there's a certain subject and you just keep hammering it, whether it's a, whether right about it or wrong about it. And so I think people were hammering him, and he was not used to that because, like I said, he'd been an assistant coach for 18 years. Um, and so I think, in my opinion, I think he'll go on and be a really good assistant coach. And I think uh, he so will be, he. He he would if there was a an award like we vote on right. coach of the year, if if there was an award for associate coaches of the yes. year, you know those like just look at that series like Kirk Muller's an associate coach yep. with with Daryl Sutter. They're sort of yin and yang if you, if you know the individuals, and you need I, you need that. Yep. You know there there's so much depth to hockey departments now like. One general manager can't manage a team anymore. Like there, there has to be assistant general managers and capologists and all that stuff. And it's the same thing with with coaching, especially with the demands that you and I, the media, put on these coaches. Which I find, I find one of the more idiotic things that we do in our business to make these coaches stand up there and talk every single day, yeah. every day, every day. Every day. I agree with you. And and I think what they should do is start a rotation, move assistant coaches in there. And I think part of that is they don't want to have a guy say something that they might. But have do you know to. what, though, Mike? You know, you know, that's a great idea, because what, what it would help is it would help elevate more of these assistants and associates where you see them in more of a head coaching light. 
And then maybe the NHL would get off the recycle train of of head coaching. Yeah. Because I, I think it actually fuels it. Yeah. Where if you're saying, okay, the only guy that can talk is the head coach, and he has to talk every day, well, after a while – uh, human nature tells you, well, these are the only guys that have any power and to have yeah, any they're knowledge. The they're yeah. the experts, so I, I want one of those. Now, if you, if you, and it might create a little bit of drama too if you have some yeah. assistants come out there and say some stuff that that contradicts the head guy. Yeah, now we got a reality show going on, Mike. <laughs> it, it is sports entertainment, Daryl. It's supposed to be. It's supposed to be. the The other thing is. To what you were touching on with with Bones, and I believe every coach is probably uh, pretty similar to that at the end, where they they don't fully love the the uh, stock that they're coaching, right? Like they don't believe that they have enough of whatever it is that they feel they need to be successful, and I, I bet you that happens at the end everywhere. Where they just look at it and they're like, I think this is an, uh, I think portions of this or this area or these three or four individuals are it's ill conceived for yeah. what. Or, or they look I'm at the other side of the ice and say, Well, of course that coach won. Look what he has. You know, there's always yeah. That there's feeling. probably a bit of a grass greener. I yeah. I believe that there's more of uh, uh, coaches, especially veteran coaches, and I, I'm not saying this is bones. It was the same. Right. Same with uh, Hitch. It was probably the same with Tortorella. Same with you can go through all these guys, where they there's like a there's like a switch that goes on where they go from coaching to judging. Yep. And instead of just purely coaching, maybe it's because they just they see them so much and they get they get tired of certain individuals and parts of their team in that. And and then once they turn into judging, it seems like the end is coming for them. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I, I think up top too, I and mean, it's just I'm, again not this organization, but I think in, in nature, uh, management ownership uh, might react even more strongly because they're not down there coaching and talking to the players. So then, if if a front office forms an opinion on a player, I think that definitely filters down to the coach. Yeah, yeah. I I guess if there's like great big powwow conversations going on all the time mm-hmm. about players, but I don't. I don't. Know. I think people. We're do. not in that world. I'm in that world. I'm in a oh, suit are you? the press oh, box. Remember? Okay. Oh, I forgot. You're part of the press. The press corps. <laughs> so uh, the other coaches on staff all were on expiring contracts, which is kind of a. I don't think it's going to be a continuing phenomena i think it's covid driven don't you yeah. where they're because of the flat cap and everything else that was going on because of covid and revenue that more organizations were fine with just saying okay we can't give you we we can't re up you we would we're we're not sure we're not sure what we're doing what our direction is so your contract's going to expire, and we'll see where we're at when it does. Yep. And I would think some are getting uh, new contracts, and that in certain locales that were on expiring contracts, and some aren't. Yeah. And here it was a, a pretty much a full 
purging of the coaching staff with John Stevens, Derek Laxtall, and, and Todd Nelson. All of them have head coaching experience in their past and probably desires, right? I would say yes. Yeah. I think uh, Todd's interviewed a couple times. Uh, John's an interesting guy just because he's done it before and he may be falling into the Rick bonus realm of, you know, it's kind of nice to be an assistant coach. Or I, I think he's at the level he could actually get an associate coach job. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. And Derek, I mean, Heck, they, it, know, it's amazing. Been, like, you know, it, it becomes, again, such a fast food industry portion of our sport. But when you sit there and you watch the amount of time and energy that coaches put into concocting plans and bettering individuals and all that, it, it is unbelievable. Sometimes I think it's too much. I, I And th this is just, it's easy uh, podcast fodder. But I, I because I've seen it now for, well, 25 years. It is my uh, jubilee, Mike. I've that, heard that. That they, they just bury themselves in video so much. Yeah. Like they just bury themselves in clips and video and minutia. And I, I'm sure they do it. I'm sure it's done everywhere. And that's just how it is done now. And that it, it just seems like a lot, man. Yeah. Just in chatting with players, they seem to just leave the rink and leave it all behind. Like they're just like, I'm going to a concert. I'm going oh, to go, yeah. I'm going yeah, to watch sure. my son play hockey. I'm going to go have a date with my wife. And the coaches don't ever seem that way. No, it's they not, don't. It seems like they go home and watch film or watch another game or look at stuff on the internet. And it's just, they just they never drown leave the rink. in yep. the information. They drown in it. And if it's not the video, then it's the analytics and it's the numbers that come back at them. And geez. Uh, but uh, Jeff Reese is staying put, right? I would think. I haven't heard officially, but uh, the fact that uh, that uh, Jake has said, well, I really look forward to working with Jeff Reese. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty good card to have to play well, there. Well, it's, it's another area, and I know they – I know they have an individual working uh, with the uh, American Hockey League team as well. I mean, some organizations have like three goalie coaches or they have a goalie consultant along with two coaches and, and that. And some of the old guard are starting to retire a little bit uh, around the league. I think Mitch Korn might be shutting right. it down or not, yeah. one of the true gurus. Uh, but anyway... Uh, I do like would, the old school style that Jeff Reese embraces. And I think, you know, different places have been the same thing where the goalies are a family. And, you know, I think that having him as the lead of that, the, the father of the family, so to speak, uh, really does help and, and helps create support for a guy like Jake. And um, it is it's a little comforting nest for those guys, I think. Yeah, I was just happy that he had a young guy the last couple of years to work with because he. He's had mostly guys in their early to mid thirties. Yeah, there, there ain't a lot of teaching going on there. You're no, you're just warming them up. They have and helping them whatever with whatever either injuries or personal issues they're dealing with, just to kind of get well, them out to the it, ice the next game. Yeah, it, I think it becomes more of a confessional. <laughs> I think so it really too. does. Yeah, you know, they just they need a shoulder to cry on, or they need you know a different set of eyes. But it's not the same 
when you have very moldable Play-Doh, like a young Jake Ottinger, which is nice to have. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, Kelly Forbes and Matt Rodell, the video coaches. I, I don't see any reason why they would change it. I think they're two of the best in the industry. And so... Oh, you know. you're an expert on video coaching now? Uh, I've checked them all. I've done the analytics. Oh, okay. Uh, I've got a scouting report well here. Well done. Well, again, you are in the press box. <laughs> uh, my rankings... You couldn't be farther away from the video room in the press box. You know that. My rankings will be coming out in July. <laughs> they are. They are. Um, and speaking of guys that have their heads buried almost 24 yes. hours a day in video to give all these coaches their clips and, and that, man, they, they work their fannies off. If Kelly does, in fact, uh, state this will be sixth, seventh head coach. Ooh, I hadn't even thought about that one. I think I think it's somewhere he was in with there. Tip wasn't he or not? I think it's somewhere in there. Yeah, not Tip. It would have been uh, that would Brian Wiseman back then. Yeah, but yeah, they've gone through a few, haven't they? Uh Crow, yeah. Crow. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Glenn. For sure. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. Well, I wish them. I wish them all well. They're yes. they're good hockey men that that will find landing spots. Uh, there's no doubt. Um, maybe some of them have interest in saying, uh, "Look, if I'm not going to be given a head coaching job at the NHL level, I'm I'm willing and ready to go coach in the American Hockey League as a head guy. Yep, and find that path uh, back. Derek's uh, path to me is an interesting one because. Um, he was back in, I think he had a shot actually of becoming the HL coach for the stars. And they took Glenn instead at the time. And then he went up to Canadian junior. And I, I like, I like the fact that he's done all those things. Uh, cause each, each league presents different challenges and he's been through them all. So I think he, he's a guy who could just go anywhere and do anything. And I think find success. So what coaches are on the radar, do you believe? And is that it? Do you, do you think that's it for for alterations, or are they still debating and and pondering and whatever else? Uh, I've fletcherizing you know, the. I've tried to make a few calls on you know as far as how is this process going to go with the coach search and the GM has one year left on his contract and all of that business. And basically, what I've been told is that Jim and the scouts are up scouting the fantastic junior players that are in the system and they'll revisit this in a couple of weeks. And so, you know, when, when the junior hockey playoffs are over, uh, the guess is that at least, you know, one or two of those guys, maybe three, well, it can't be three. No, I guess it could, uh, will be in the finals or be in the Memorial cup. And so this could go on for a little while and then they'll just have to juggle the balls on, on how they want to do this. And the other interesting thing is we don't know exactly what coaches are available uh, to interview because uh, there were some interim coaches there at the end of the year, and I don't think they've made decisions on those coaches yet. Uh, so it's, it's going to be a very liquid process. Um, and, you know, I, I think Jim Neal will make the decision, but who knows? I mean, th it is a process, and nobody stepped up and said, hey, here's our plan. Uh, so I guess we'll just have to wait and see. So you you won't be picking the coach from your press box seat well, then? Is I, it? I like to be behind the scenes, Daryl. Well, if you're going to come out of behind the scenes and center stage, pop some names on us. Well, you like. mentioned just fantasy it. We're, uh, I have I have no information. You have no information. Correct. So uh, you throw, mentioned throw them in the pot. 
you mentioned a guy who I've always liked, and this is a this is a flaw in all people because you're going to go with people who you're familiar with. Um, if the stars were going to change GM, I really thought Pat Verbeek would be a great candidate. And if the stars are going to name a head coach, which they are now, I think Kirk Muller has to be at least considered if he wants it. If he, you know, if he's happy where he is, and if he's happy being an associate coach, that's great. But if not, I would definitely want him to come in here and, you know, say, "What are your ideas? How would you like to do things?" Because uh, you and I both know Kirk, and he's great, and he's. I think his style of his vision of the game suits what I believe is can succeed in the playoffs because I know we go back and forth on, you know, can the Toronto's or the Edmonton's or the Florida's or even the, the Colorado's of the world win with a more up-tempo, aggressive, offensive brand of hockey. And, and I just keep looking at Tampa and saying, you know, every time they do have skill and they do have great offensive players, but every time that they get into a situation where they need to win, they win one to nothing, two to nothing, you know, two to one. Um, and, and I think Kirk could do that. He could bring that kind of style. I, I have a theory on, on what you were just speaking of though, about, about those teams, the, the flighty rush driven teams. If you, if you actually look, which I have, I don't sit in the press box, but I I still have looked into this. If you can't, and and this is what was probably a heavy undoing of our stars. If you can't cycle the puck, if you can't play a possession game in the offensive zone, if you're basically just racehorses that go up and try to score, and you score sometimes on those rush chances and your power play scores for you, you're going to have a tough time when it, when it matters the most in the playoffs. That's the way the league yeah. looks right now. Um, you have to have – in order to be that type of team, you can't have, have like one line or two lines that can do it and then two lines that can't or have zero lines that can't, and you're just purely a rush team. So if you look at Florida, like they were the highest octane offense in the league this year. But a lot of it was was rush, and it was exotic, man. They oh beautiful. They scored some of the most beautiful goals, Huberto and company. But if you if you can't lean on teams with your third and fourth line, or even your top two lines, your your top uh, six forwards, if they can't play that that type of game, I just think you're going to really struggle when you get into these uh, you know low chance low scoring type games you're speaking of with uh with clubs like like the uh like the bolts and we'll yeah. get into who we think can win it now and a lot of it will be handicapped in that direction from me um and you know coaching so kirk i believe it, we've talked a while ago um when uh you look at the guys he's been aligned with as an associate coach. He's got all the old guard, hey? Yes. Like, he had Claude Julian and Hitch and Daryl Sutter. And it's just unbelievable. But uh, as he said, you know, you learn you learn a lot yeah. from these guys. But at the same time, the he's been given enough rain to install his 
sort of uh, offensive philosophies into that old school mentality of a lot of those uh, coaches. And uh, I don't know what happened in Montreal. I mean, Montreal was a little bit personnel driven. Like their, their power play was, was atrocious. But it, when you looked at who they were trotting out on the power play, you were like, well, hold it here now. Is it, is it the guy holding the credit card or is it the groceries that, that are the problem there? And uh, so it's, it, yeah, he would, I, I find him a fascinating guy because uh, he's from my draft class. He was a, you know, he was the guy who was picked sec, second overhaul in behind Mario. Yep. And he's been an offensive player, he's been a defensive player. He's been a head coach. He's been an associate coach. He's been an assistant coach. Um, yeah, just that if you're going to look at guys that have a wealth of experience, he would he would certainly have that. Yeah, and his path is like I always talk. I talk about Derek's or whatever. When he came here, it was hard for him to become that fourth line player, and he did it very well. And I do think that you know to go through that process in your own brain and say. I mean, I, I would always go around the locker room going like, who leads the stars in all-star game appearances? And they'd be like, Madonna, no. Zuboff, no. Kirk Muller, six all-star game appearances yeah. on that on the stars roster. And, you know, but he was their fourth-line player, third-line player, whatever you want to call it. It was fourth, technically, at the time, I think. The grumpy old men. And, you know, they did a great job, and he did the a great job of adjusting to that. Grumpy old men. Uh, so, Yeah. You know, again, a large portion of all this is personnel driven. Yep. It's hard to make a cat bark. I've always said that. Wow. I've always said that. It's hard. Some would say impossible. Hmm. Uh, but they, they do need to probably open up the offense throttle a little. And some of that is personnel. And yep. some of it is probably uh, giving up a little bit of has been locked down uh and but i mean we've been i think we talked about this at the end of the regular season that you you can go through four head coaches here with similar issues yeah five on five scoring in that uh joel quenville like i know that i know you have whatever you have around there in that but I, you look at a guy like Evander Kane from the player standpoint, and like some organizations look at Evander Kane and they think he's toxic. The Edmonton Oilers looked at it and they're like, "Man, we we need that. We need we need some of that." And we're we're going to look through our fingers at it and and kind of wince, but we're going to do it. And it's a risk, but there's a sizable reward to go along with it. Yeah. And people deserve, you know, with him, it's probably sixth chance, but, but people deserve second chances. Like, I think, I think Jim Montgomery's going to get a job. I think so. He too. should. Yeah. I think it'd be weird for him to come back here. No, I don't think that would work. Why? I, I just think it's just too much. Uh, too much too what? Much remi- too much reminder. Uh, I mean, this organization's been very good of talking around whatever happened. Well, at some point in time, with yeah. people in the news, yeah, they will want right. specifics, yeah. and so I, it just would be. Who better knows? For though him. maybe somebody like maybe people get to a point where that's the last step in 
Maybe. firmly moving past it to where they're just like, yeah, this is what went on, and and I was a moron, and and this is why yeah, it happened. Yeah, you could do that. Yeah, that's smart. Way we go forward. I, I don't know. It's just he's a good coach. He's uh, a good coach. Joel Quenville's a good coach, and they missed him in Florida. Joel Quenville is a great coach. Like they and missed what, what he had them doing in Florida was impressive. Now again, he had the groceries, but he also was the guy who knew how to use the groceries to make a just a beautiful soup. You're really following up on my chef's kiss of a <laughs> podcast. Uh, Rick Tockett's name keeps coming up all yep. the time. Uh, you can currently watch him on TNT in between periods. Um. Yeah, I. I mean, he's another guy who's got experience both as a head guy and an assistant at this level. And I. I just don't know enough about about what type or what how that would fit or whatever. I. It might. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's just. It's. It's a good name. Uh, whether Paul Maurice wants to continue coaching or not after stepping down in, in uh, Winterpeg. Uh, Rickard Gronberg has always been sort of on people's lips and tongues because he has been such a, a great uh, coach in, in Scandinavia primarily. I think he's in Switzerland now, but he's coached their, the Swedish national team. Unbelievable beard too, eh? Like strong beard. <laughs> That's important. Uh, it'd be weird though, wouldn't it, if Klingberg moved on and then you brought in a Swedish head coach? Well, here's a, and this is just us BSing, but how important could Yere be in discussions? Not that he would do it, because I think he's to pretty coach? happy. No, no, to to be the guy who helps you find that coach. Because of all the people I would trust to have opinions on European coaches, yeah, that's a good point. It would be Yere Lettinen. That's a good point. Well, and the I, stars, the stars have. Uh, uh, I'd have to go back in my notes. I'd say it wrong. What is it, Pear or Par? Uh, Johansson? Yeah. Who who runs um, a real smart, connected uh, guy in, in Sweden who is, the I believe, the European uh, player development uh, that coach. That's right. Yep. Like and Kari, Pever- Kari Taco like, still like around. Like Kari, Kari Taco over there. Like, it's – they've got good people over there. That's why yeah. we have very good – uh, European young, players. European players. Yeah. Yeah. Funny how that works. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I I would I would concur. I would concur there with our boy Yuri, who's put together some pretty good. We can't get more Finnish though, can we? <laughs> hey, I love the Finns. Yeah. You used and, to have two Ks. Remember H E I K K A. Yeah, I, I forgot about that. There, about I saw a name. I think I was reading. Maybe it was in the hockey news stuff. Uh, and I always I'm always fascinated by assistant or associate coaches with teams that have been successful mm-hmm. and have been there for a while in that. Uh, Derek Lalonde has, has been in Tampa Bay. I don't know anything about him other than nope. that. Um, but they play, play a pretty successful brand of, of hockey there. Well, uh, back in the day, that's what it was. I mean, Quenville and, yeah, uh, you know, these guys all came out as assistant coaches. Oh, with- yeah, they were – with, Queenie was uh, yeah. was on Crow's staff in '96 yep. when when the Avs won. Yep. And then who was his fellow assistant? Uh, um, the Egg, wasn't it? Went up to Ottawa or uh, 
I can't remember. Anyway, but back in the day, that's wow, what it was. you're telling some great stories today. Uh, they, I'm, helping, I'm helping the fans out. Uh, I'll throw, <laughs> I'll throw in this, this is just, I'm just being very uh, Camel's Blazer-ish, because I, mm-hmm. I do have my Blazer alumni uh, hoodie on right now. Uh, Ryan Huska, do you know that name? I do not. Yeah, well, you should. Good. Thank you. He's good. He's I know good it one. now. He's a good one. And uh, I believe all of those St. Louis Blues uh, coaches were on expiring contracts this year as well. They re-up uh, Chief, uh, I don't even know if you're allowed to say that anymore, uh, Craig Berube, he, I've known him as that since I was like four. Um, he, he re-upped, right? He signed. I'm not sure. I, I need to check all the, the I believe available he, I believe he did. But our old boy Steve Ott is on that bench. And I'm not saying as a head coach, no, just yet. But uh, we are a little thin on coaches at, at the current time. moment in Stars Land. And uh, you know, he was on their bench when they won it all. Uh, he, I've watched him there. You know him. I know him. He seems to. He's the son of a coach. Yep. He seems to be on a pretty good path as a coach. That'd be another name that I'd have yeah. in my little bowl of names. You know what's funny, and I, I don't mean to blow smoke on you or whatever, but you are really good at, at reading this stuff. Like Dean Evison, you know, is one, he's your friend, but two, you've said for a long time he would be a great head coach, and he is a great head coach. And so when you have a feeling about someone like Steve Ott, I, I would trust that. Because uh, like I said, you watch closely, you know these guys, and I think you see what would be good for – the players, because you were a player, and I think that's important. Long time ago. I don't yeah, know what well. the players... Your, your brain is still the brain of a player. I don't know what they need now. They need a kick in the <laughs> rear end every now and then. I know that. Well, that's important. It is. I agree. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, uh, before the end of all that era of, of Stars Hockey, the series against Calgary, uh, here, I'm going to stun you with this one. My big right. takeaway from the series... Jake Ottinger is pretty good. Uh, he kind of arrived, kind of thrived, uh, and that made it seem much, much closer than it actually was. True. Uh, I thought Yanni Hockenpah and Michael Raffle played great. I, I out of out of the others that weren't in pads and wearing a mask. I, I I really I really had appreciation for how those two played yes. in that series. Right right from start to finish. Um like Mike Mike Roffle played his proverbial you know what off. Yep. Um and uh they I said I think right after game one, they need more Mike Raffles in this. They need him. Yeah, and some of it's luck, but I also think one of the biggest, I don't want to say overlooked, but one of the biggest parts of your organization is pro scouting. And so, you know, we've talked about, you know, should you draft uh, Jamie Alexiak or uh, um, a defensive forward in the first round? 
And my contention is, no, go ahead and roll the dice on your you know, Maverick Borks or whoever. And because there are Michael Raffles out there and there are Yanni Hockenpahs out there right now. And you look at what Yanni Hockenpah d- did and you're like, mm, that seems every bit as good as Jamie Alexiak for a lot less money. And so if you have the pro scouts yeah, that can I, go find those guys, yeah, I just I, think it's again, I would have liked to have had both miss. of them. <laughs> that that would have been nice too. I think there but, was I think there was some of what Jamie brought that was missed. Yeah. For me. Well, and like, same with Raddick, but I also really like what Glenn Denning did. So, you know, do you is that a potential swap you do? You know, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You know? Well, yeah. You need uh, more offense in the here, system. Here's here's another completely obvious observation from the seven games. Star spent too much time in their own zone, in the D zone. <laughs> yes, they they spent too much time there. Yeah, and uh, that that needs to that needs to go away. If you look at just the overall, I mean, this wasn't a seven game first round of the playoffs issue. This was an all season issue. Yeah, and where and they date, dating back further even. Yeah, but if you, I mean, just this was the first eighty-two game schedule right. with a normal uh, normalcy, the first time since twenty eighteen nineteen. So if you just look at this season, you they 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 just they had some of the worst ozone possession time metrics in the league. Yep, and they had some of the they they got stuck in their own zone too much. That that is not a recipe to to do something really special. That 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 ain't a winning recipe. No, and so you look at second periods and uh, the long change, and they never were able to navigate it. And it's it's interesting to look at teams. I think Tampa's one. I think the old stars were one that actually dominate in the second period because they know how to handle the long change and they make smart plays and three they quarter read. Ice, man. Yeah, and so this team did not. And how about they my observations though? Pretty good, huh? Just oh, fantastic. Just nailed them. Well, and the other interesting thing about that whole too much time in your own end is that the coaching staff understood it, tried to fix it, and ultimately failed. Um, And so if you want to look at something that really was a problem that they never got fixed, that's it. You know, it's the fact that they, they would spend, I don't know, 12, 15 minutes sometimes where they were just getting hammered. And, you know, Jake was fantastic, and maybe it actually helped make him a better goalie. But that's, like you said, that's a bad recipe for trying to win hockey games. Yeah. the uh, I had this note heading into game six, I think it was. Uh, of the Stars' 17 players who scored a goal during that magical bubble run, they had only Pavelski, Foxa, and Sagan who had scored goals in the series. Wow. And... You know, you you think back like Radulov was second in playoff game winners. Yep. In the bubble, and then he was a healthy scratch. Yep. In this one, Gurionov had nine goals. It was second only to Pavelski, and his thirteen. And Jamie Jamie had eight goals. Yep. In that run, and they just man, they were just unable to put any kind of offensive, sustained offensive threat. Um, and when they did. The guy who's struggling against the Oilers was, you know, pretty tough to beat in that series. So, uh, the the veterans. Why don't we break it down? Like the veterans, the kids, then okay. the needs. You like okay. that? I do. So, with veterans, 
again, kind of a mixed bag of a positive impact and debilitating, disappointing outcome, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, Alexander Radulov was a healthy scratch in a game seven. Yep. And uh, he's done here. Yep. And that that is the end of that that tenure that started exotically on the line with Ben and Sagan and finished with, again, a healthy, healthy scratches in the playoffs. And somebody asked me, has he been that bad? He, he tried really hard, but they just had so many better options on the third and fourth line, and he was not a top six player, so he was playing on the third and fourth line. He, like I said, he skated hard. He, he caused chaos, which is what he does. <laughs> uh, and, and, but again, you just had much better options than playing Alexander Radulov as a third or fourth line player, and it is what it is. I mean, you got to yeah. have a position. you got to have a place. Uh, Jamie, Ben? Um, he is a really interesting one because I thought he played hard. I thought I he and exactly. he always plays hard, but I thought he and Tyler had a little bit of that chemistry. But I, I, and again, this goes to me with Raddick and potentially moving him for whatever. But I, I think you have to find a different spot for Jamie. Uh, and it may be, I mean, could he be Patrick Maroon? Could he be a guy who, you know, comes in on the power play and, and uses his physicality and then the rest of the game, <clears throat> excuse me. You know, choked more, up talking about the captain. I, I, I hear you. But, but it's more, you know, you don't look at his paycheck. You have to look at what well, yeah, he, he could I, add. I absolutely agree with that. Like you, you can't just be married to, oh, while well, he makes this, he's obviously got to play in your top six. Well, you can't, you just can't, you can't do it that way. No. Anyway. And then everything he b brings intangible. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. Oh, so. he played hard. He got fined. Yep. Uh, the, <laughs> twice. The, the, yeah, twice. <laughs> the impact, unfortunately, was kind of minimal yeah. in what they needed. Now, you're right. Like, if he's coming out of the same hole as, as uh, Milan Lucic, then you're having a completely different conversation. Yeah, I think. And uh, uh, Tyler played hurt again. Yep. God, he just can't. He and Rope can't get through a playoff in a hundred percent, or even into for him, even into he entered it healthy. Yep. And uh, I th I thought he at times played played well, yes. but it, again, it it just. It just didn't lead to enough. And Correct. Some of this, this isn't all just on the individuals. Some of it's on, they were up against a pretty good, pretty good oh, yeah. team. It's a 111, no, uh, you know, point team in the regular season with depth and and you and you look at the players that they added there. <laughs> Excuse me, the good defensive or two way players. There, there were four forwards there who were Stanley Cup champion, pretty good two way yeah. players that yeah. they've added. So yeah. Uh, Ryan Suter, who had had a very good regular season at thirty, you always bring up the age at thirty-seven. I I I didn't realize this, and I read it somewhere. He's never been past the second round. Wow! And he's on that list of guys. Uh, Thornton's yeah. probably going to fall off of it now. I I can't see him Coming chasing back. the dream one more yeah. year. He could barely get into the lineup uh, this year. Uh, but those guys that have just played a gazillion games and haven't won a cup. And uh, he's he's on that list. Uh, I think you have to manage him. I think. Yeah, he he looked. Know. 
he looked tired at times in in this series. Yeah, he won't manage himself. I mean, he does a good job of, you know, of saving his energy on the ice, but he's going to tell you, yeah, I can play 24 minutes, I can play 24 minutes, and he shouldn't. Yeah. You know, and, and so then that's on the coaching staff to just pull him back. Well, it's on, the, it's on the coaching staff. It's also on do you, who else is going to play the 23 point. minutes then. Well, then you do you need to, to step up with some of these kids that we're going to talk about? Yeah, maybe. Um, maybe. Uh, Kling, Klinger was just bizarre and unproductive. Um, I think he tried too hard at times. I don't know if it's a contract or his – like he's an incredibly competitive guy, and when somebody tells him that he stinks – uh, then he's going to try even harder. And sometimes trying harder is not the best thing for John. Yeah. That's my take on the series is that he was the target from the start. And then I think he tried way too hard the rest of the series. Yeah. But I mean, look, I I'm all for singers have to dance and dancers have to sing to a certain degree, but mm -hmm. watching John fight three games in a row just seemed like I, um, no, yeah. Somebody else should be doing that, not you. Correct. And uh, he just had no shots on goal. Nope. He couldn't get a shot on goal. Uh, so anyway, we'll see whether uh, the Klingberg era continues or ends here, depending on offers and free agency and that. Essa? Uh, I didn't like him as much in the playoffs as I did during the – you know what's interesting about Essa is, like, he's that guy who – you look at some of the plays he makes and you're like, well, he just missed a great scoring opportunity. And he didn't. I'm saying I'm likening that to a guy like Tyler who, and you're like, how could he do that? He's Tyler Sagan, right? Well, I'd, I'd look at S and go, well, he just blew that assignment. He's, he's Essa Lindell. And so then he'd come back and have great, you know, six great shifts or whatever. Then he'd just go and do something <laughs> foolish again. And I'm just like, I huh. The crazy thing about Essa was that I'd look at the stats and he was like leading the team in shots on goal and that. And I'm like, yeah, what? So there was a point. I don't know whether he finished uh, because I just completely purged everything once it was over. <laughs> uh, but at one point, he, he was leading the team in shots on goal and he was leading the team in shots blocked at the other end. Yeah. So he, he was pretty high event for, for Essa Lindell. I, I remember back in him and, and Rope back in 2019 in the playoffs. And that was the playoff run where everybody, you know, whether it was observers or pe people on like St. Louis or whoever it was, they came away just going, I had no idea Esselindel was that good. Right. And we had no idea that Rope Hintz was that good. And then you fast forward into this series, and I don't think those sentiments were being echoed out of no. that for, for whatever reason. Yeah. And, and it took, it took Hintz till game six to actually hit his gallop and you're like, okay, here you go. Um, and obviously, those are the type of players that are getting extra attention from the opposition, who are drilling down on them in a in a series that where you play the same individuals every second day. But it has to be a little bit disconcerting that he's hurt at the end of a playoff again. He was hurt. Yeah. He was hurt in Game Seven of 2019. He was hurt in game six in the final in the bubble. He was hurt and couldn't go for various reasons in uh, in game seven in Calgary. So you're just – it's tough not to have that individual in, let alone 
in these gotta gotta have this game or you're going home. Yeah, that was that was always my theory with Eric Lindros was when your best player is also your yeah, most injured yeah. player, you really are it just it's very difficult to manage that. Yeah. I mean it's amazing what Rope's been able to do at you know, fifty percent, seventy five percent. Yeah. Um just keep him at a hundred. Uh on the positive side, I mean Pavelski Pavelski was their offense again in in the early portion of the series. Um and you know, he had chances that he can't bury them all. It would, they needed him to bury more of them, though. Yep. Because nobody else was doing it. Yeah, that's uh, the problem is that when nobody else does it, I mean, you'd like to see his teammates, you know, give him a little bit more support. I mean, even Robertson, it would have been nice for him to, to pot a few of those. Yeah. Yeah. We'll talk about him here in a second. I like Nemesnikov, too. Yep. I You know, that. In in a role, and the way he plays in that, he, I I had appreciation for him. I mean, you can put him anywhere and with anyone, and and he's got playoff experience. And he produced a little bit, and he yeah. got he was like he was in people's grill, and you know there's a little there's a little nasty to Nemesnikov, nasty cough. <laughs> uh, so the kids, Otter's pretty obvious. Yes, I guess Carter Hart in Philadelphia would be. A bit of a cautionary tale, though, because he came in in similar fashion, maybe not to the level that that Jake did. But I remember when when Carter Hart arrived. I mean, everyone in Philadelphia was just like, "Oh, it's over. We got our guy. We're done. We've been searching forever." And he's had, and they've had nothing but struggles since. Yeah. So there's a couple guys. There's a Matt Murray, I think. Did he have injuries or does he his yeah, he had performance some injuries. just kind of tail too. off and the guy in uh Carolina twenty years ago? He he kind of hit a wall about what, second or third year? Cam Ward? Bin- yeah. Cam yeah. was it Cam Ward? Yeah. And then yeah. Bennington even, but Bennington's a weird goaltending's different now yeah. though. Like even even if Jake continues on, you still need another guy. Oh, you definitely. just need another guy. Yeah. Um, but man. Man, he was he was so dialed in, he he was so dialed in in that series, yeah, and so in the heads of some of their players, and, and enjoying enjoying being in the heads of some oh, of those of course. players, looking seeing that smile. He's got the greatest and- amount of athletic arrogance in at that position. It, it's just it's like a perfect mix. Uh, he 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 was just he was so good, and they they fed him. Um, with just the barrage, I, they could never wear him fully down, which yeah. was impressive too. He's obviously a, a well conditioned athlete, along with bad. a very talented one. Uh, I just, I, I was just so happy for him because I mean, again, there were so many times in the past couple of years where he could have just fallen flat on his face. I mean, face planted. Yep. And everyone's like, well, he's not ready yet. I get, well, yep. well, we hope in a year or two or this or that. And he just keeps meeting challenge after challenge after challenge. And it was, it was very impressive. I enjoyed everything about Jake during the playoffs. Miro Haskinen started to play like Miro again. Started to see that threat and dominance. The last, what, two, three games? Two yep. games for sure. Uh, but it had been missing, man. It, it we can all have our own theories on all this stuff. I do wonder if John doesn't return, 
does like Miro doesn't seem like the guy who's going to take the minutes or take the responsibility, generally speaking. Uh, but if he has to be given to him and then he'll go. Yeah. Well, or like, you know, I'm not going to be hurting anybody's feelings by doing this. Yeah. 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 So if, if that's the case and he becomes that guy, he showed in, in a couple of those games, just what his capable, what his whatever potential is. He, the potential is greatness. There's no question. Uh, Jason Robertson, I have full faith that he'll learn from and improve upon uh, his performance in his first real playoff uh, at this level. Just like, to me, watching him get challenged cause, and admit that he was tentative on the road as a rookie <clears throat> and then lead the team in road goals the next yep. year. And he goes in this playoff. He he looked timid again at times early in in the in the playoffs, and you know it's a learning experience again. Yeah. And I have full faith that he will learn from it and find a way to be a clutch guy when it matters the most. I I do. He's just yeah. got that. He has a great hockey brain. He was talking earlier in the year and saying, you know, I was looking at some film and I'm not scoring from the slot. And you're like, okay, you're scoring from every place else, so what's the problem? And then, like, the next game, he steps in around, like, a defender and then just wires a shot past the goalie from the slot and goes, yeah, that's something i was been working on. And you're like, well, you did a pretty good job. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. He's you know. AI, man. He's artificial intelligence. Yeah. He just learns. Uh, nice cameo, I thought, by Ty Delandria. I oh. always like his energy and his spark. Yeah. And I've... I, I've wished he had had more uh, at times, you know. And I, I understand you're you, you can't move pieces around like you once could because of cap situations and all that. But you, there's something to be said for youthful exuberance, Mike. Yeah, you wouldn't know. I, you're I, an old I believe, goat. And, and this is just my opinion, that GMs stock their roster far too early. So you know, they come in in uh, September. And every position is filled pretty much. And and I wish they would leave openings because I do believe you can fill those positions later in the season if, if it doesn't work out for the kids. Um, but, yeah, the one good thing, and, and this is what I've heard from front office people that they believe is that going back like Jake had to do or going back like Ty had to do is actually a good thing for them because it is adversity and they do have to fight through it. And there were people who said that Ty wasn't that great at the beginning of the AHL season, but that he dug in and neither was Jake Ottinger. Right. And, but he dug in, did the work and became a much better player. And the player we saw, he wasn't there very long. I laugh well, not at that. Jake, I'm talking about. Uh, I Ty. laugh. I've heard that from other people too, though. Yeah. They're like, "Yeah, he had to go back," and, and he's like, "No, they they ran out of goalies here." Right. Like they had to call. Well, him and, and Jake is funny just because he's so calmly honest. Because uh, <laughs> somebody asked him, "Well, do you think that helped?" He goes, eh, "I don't know. I, I think <laughs> yeah, I perfect. I love I, that. I think I could have just come up and done it without yeah. having to go no, back. I didn't need it. No. <laughs> Did you need that time in the mic? No, not really. Yeah, and that's what it was. It was like, well, yeah. if you're asking me, no, I think I yeah. would have been fine. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Uh, Jacob Peterson. Uh, can I give you a funny story? Well, so, no, it's not just me, Mike. All of our <laughs> listeners, there's millions out there. Well, this is for one guy in Sweden who I wrote 
the end of the year story and I said, this guy's coming back and this guy's coming back and this guy's coming back. And the guy emails me and says, you did not mention Jacob Peterson. He scored you know, 12 goals. He was, he was very set that I was an idiot for not understanding that Jacob Peterson was going to be a huge part of this thing going forward. And from what we've seen in the world championships, he looks like he's, he's maybe one of those guys who really, you know, can take the next step. So was that a major omittance by you then? It was, I think, when you look back at it. you got called out on it, Mike? I I deserved the Swedish criticism. Yeah, you did. And you, I think the Swedes deserve a better uh, accent out of you than than that (laughs) as well. I can do the Swedish chef thing. No, don't do that. (laughs) That, That's almost like racism when you do that. Almost almost like it. uh, Marion Studenich? Uh... Good player. I, I don't know if there's a spot for him going forward. I mean, he really did a good job. I mean, I think at some point in time you have to say, okay, how do we create room for the Wyatt Johnstons and Maverick Borks and all these yeah. others? Just and good to have uh, yeah, if he goes, depth that you yeah. can you shuttle back and forth maybe. or yeah, and, and you I may be losing know. definitely two, maybe three forwards, and we'll see. Yeah, yeah. So which brings us to needs. Yep. Uh, so, uh, they, they need guys to produce at the level of expectation first and foremost, whatever that expectation is. Correct. Uh, I believe, I believe, (laughs) I truly believe, (laughs) feel like I'm on stage at a pageant or something in this America. Uh, they need some definition to their bottom six forwards. Yes. Uh, a third line that can score some, a fourth line that can lean on the opposition and cycle and tick people off and chunk some goals in and and be consistent. They they need they I I would want their fourth line to have an a, a firm clear cut identity as to what they are and what you're going to get out of them. Because yeah. it certainly seems like, like the Edmonton Oilers right now are a, an interesting study in in that. Like you look at a guy like Matt Cassian, there there were times where Matt Cassian was playing with McDavid on their top line, and that probably shouldn't happen. You Correct. you you need a better, you need a player, you need some parts of that player, but you need a better player. So. Now they're in the play, and Zach Cassian's playing like six minutes on their fourth line. Now it's six minutes of of hell, like he's just flying around, ramming each other. He and uh, Archibald, who I, I like him as a player too. But it, you know that oh my god, here's forty five seconds of hell for the other side, right? Yep. Now I, you, you need more than just run around energy guys on your fourth line in today's NHL. And that's where, and I hate coming back. Well, you shouldn't hate coming back to the Lightning over and over again. They have one back-to-back cups, uh, and they're halfway to another one. But you look at Maroon and whatever they trot out on their fourth line. They, again, they th- their defensive game is having that line spend forty-five seconds to a minute in the other team's zone. Yep. And and, and every now and then it gets to the front of the net, and boom, uh, somebody goes off a leg and something and. They're just hard, really consistently hard to play against yeah. for six to twelve minutes every every game, every yeah. game. 
That's why I wonder if Jamie could be the anchor of that bottom six because he is that guy. He is hard to play against. He is big. He is physical. And he can score goals still. And then you still, you know, feed him power play time, you know, just to uh, take advantage of whatever he has and to keep him in the loop. I think you to be a leader, you need to be an important part of the team. But I, I do wonder if yeah, Jamie should just, be a bottom six player. It's a weird it's a weird thing in time and all that when you're yep. you you know that you're eventually going to have to move past some people with minutes and roles and all that but it's not easy and you're absolutely right in trying to find value in in whatever role that is in a different role yeah if that makes any sense it does they they need a better balance between between goals for and goals against they they've they've been all over the map for it feels like a decade where and you and I have talked about it they're really good at scoring goals and they're 28th in goals against they're right. top 3 in goals against and they're 28th in goals for like just got to find some way to to I thought I really did think this year was going to be closer to that and I then some guys that you expect to score goals, just didn't score goals. Or yep. Certainly didn't score enough of them. Uh, and back to where you started this whole thing, I think, today. Admittance of where they are, like truth, and also a clear vision of where they expect to be or go. Truth. I agree. Uh, my point, I guess, is that they do have a small window where they do have to make use of guys like Pavelski and Ryan Suter and uh, even Jamie, depending on. Or, or I, I, it's my opinion that Tyler can take a huge step up. And the hope, in my opinion, is that some of these kids help him do that. So the whether that's Wyatt Johnston, whether that's Maverick Bork, whether that's... Maverick Bork is like Sagan Light when yes. I watch him. And, and he then, looks uh, like Tyler Sagan Light. Delandria... I mean, is Delandria top six forward? I know he, you know, he. Everybody talks about him as a third line player, or whatever. I go, why not try him with Tyler and see what he can do? Put uh, Delandria in the center spot and let Tyler play on the right wing. There, there's options there. Oh my God, now you're crazy talking, Mike. I am you're all crazy over talking. the place. But there's options there to make what is here better in the short term. Then the other thing is your top four players, in my opinion. You know, apologies to Joe. But your top four players are 22, 23, 23, and 25. Um, and that should give you a window to be good for years to come. And you've got 18, 19, I think 18, 18, 19, and somebody, uh, one of the other ones is 18 or 19 coming in the pipeline. And whether they all make it or not, you have the ability to be good and get much better, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, the, I mean, you, you can't, you're, you're almost talking about like you're rebuilding. No, I don't think you have to rebuild because you have players here who are already in the prime of their career in Robertson and. Uh, Robertson's in the prime of his career? Well, I think 41 goals is pretty good. Well, that no, that he's Isn't in the infancy the, of his career. Okay, so Mike? then the infancy of his prime, let's put it that he's way. Infancy of his prime. Yeah. Okay. My point being is he is a good player right now. He's two years in. I know. Rope's a good player right now. Rope's what you're talking about. Haskinen is a good player right now. Yes, but 
What what again? They're what year is the prime? What's the prime, Mike? I don't know. Why do they have to get caught up in prime? They're good because you players. do. They're good players who can help you next season. Correct. Well, they helped it, you last season. They're going to help you next well, season. Well, yeah. So then yeah. that's not a rebuild. But you can't say that that Jason Robertson's in his prime. Well, what's all right? Who yeah. Who are the young leading scorers in the league? How old are they? What's McDavid? Twenty five. Yeah, you got to get to 25 for prime. When did 20, he enter his prime? 20, 20, 25 to 28. You're right on the needle of okay, your prime. Okay, so when did McDavid enter his prime? Because he won league MVPs and scoring titles before he was in his prime. Oh, okay. Is it, He's probably going to play in a conference final this year? Okay. <clears throat> so that's a big step. How many, playoff, how many playoff games has he played, Mike? Um, yeah, you, you, shut your, you shut your cake hole. All right, right now. I'm going to withdraw the objection to the word prime and say only you have on a, one, only on one guy. No, on all of them. I, they're they're all out. Not well, how in many, their prime. Come on, is how Jake many, in his How many prime? seasons? How, no, how many seasons has Merrill played? Uh, four. This will be his fourth because he's making eight million dollars this year, right? Well, it always comes back to money with you. So four years, four years at the NHL level, coming into his fifth. So if if you're on the normal scale and you're saying okay, a guy turns pro, excuse me, at twenty, you're hitting twenty four, twenty five, twenty six. Okay, prime. I, all right. My concept is you. People have four, out there know they're all they're all they're all agreeing with my, you, Daryl. They're on me. This they're on just, me. It's just like when we used to do the intermission debate, and I yeah, lost. Yeah, I win. <laughs> God, I'm all choked up. It's so good. You have four players who are very good who will be very good next year. So I don't think it's a rebuild. You have, let's say, four players in Ben Sagan, um, uh, Pavelski, and Suter who, you know, you need, to, you need to help them along. And then you have four players, potentially maybe more, who are coming in in the next year or two who have, in my opinion, wonderful potential. So yeah. I don't think you have to rebuild. I think you can go try to win the cup next year and then be even better the year after that and be even better the year after that. Well, you that. should you should try to you should try to win the cup every year. Yeah, I agree. Uh but you can't. So I don't think it is a rebuild. Even you, you, I think you whatever coaching but, staff comes but, in here but, is very lucky. That's my point. Oh, I I f firmly agree with that. Okay. I I think if you're anybody and you look at cuz you look at what you have right now and you know, they're, you're looking at it and you're like, okay, hmm, how many miles does he have left? And what does he have left? And what do they, do they have anything coming? It's always, it always distills down to that one. Yeah. Do they have anything coming? And if you look at it and you're like, okay, well that list that we just went through, you're like Otter, Haskinen, Robertson, Delandria, Peterson, um, you know, you can. I, what's Rope now? Twenty five. Yeah, twenty five. Twenty five. We'll leave him. He's he's a tweener. Um, but you look at that group, and then you then you grab the kids that are in junior now, and you add them into the mix. And maybe there's uh, another Euro that we aren't thinking of. Yeah, right that now. we don't know yet. Um, but you have so you have all all that going on. And you're like, oh, that's not a bad little nucleus going yeah, forward. Yeah, bad organization there, but. Uh, a, a firm portion of that still yet to prove that they can truly contribute at this level. Um, but yeah, it is, 
that, there's your positive. That, yep, that's that's, that's the saying. positivity you came in with and, and ready to go. But I, I think what I'm leaning more toward is, and I'm not, I'm not trying to completely uh, shove under the carpet what they did in 2020, but there comes a time where you, you got you to gotta stop chasing, you know, unfinished business or, or whatever. It's yes. not, un, it, that, that is an unfinished business. No. It, it's a, especially now with a coaching change, it's, this is, this is something different and, and new. And they were trying to do something that teams just don't do. You don't go to the final and lose and then, and then win the following year very often. Well, they didn't even make the playoffs in a funky season. And then there are, I think, two teams in the last 40 years that have gone to the final, missed the playoffs, and then won it the next year. And if you look at those two teams, if you stretched it out over like a five-year period, they were they were trending toward what they ultimately did anyway. Yeah. So it, it's just an opportunity to go. Okay, that was a segment of time that's over with. We're we're not rebuilding. We're not rebuilding. We're gonna. I would think the attitude should probably be we are gonna we are gonna fix is probably the wrong word. We are gonna elevate in areas where we've been deficient and. We're going to strengthen areas where we've been pretty good. Yep. Um, and with that, we think that that we can move into uh, uh, the hundred point territory again. I know I brought it up before, but I think it's important. I agree. If you if you look just just look at the simple fact that every time they play a game seven, it's in somebody else's friggin' building. Yep. And you got to get back to they won game sevens. It was a long time ago, but they earned the right to play Game Seven in their building. Yep. And uh, I know that it, what was it, 2016? They did that, and then they just completely turded in Game Seven on home ice against St. Louis, which was really unfortunate. The biggest anticipation of my jubilee probably was that one. Yeah. Because uh, it was over like 16 minutes into the game. Uh, but the, you know, at St. Louis, uh, the one in the bubble they won, wh- whatever that was, against Colorado, right? Uh, and then this year they lose in Calgary in Game Seven. So that's where that's where the first eighty-two and just it's not it's not a humongous leap, but they they got to get up, they they got to get out of the oh are we in or are we not in and who are we playing and they got to get up into that other group where it's. It's more of, uh, yeah, we're a good team, and we're going to prove it when it matters the most here now, and and we're gonna we're gonna if it goes seven games, four of those games are in our building. Yeah, I parrot something that the organization has pointed out many times. Rick said it in his press conference, and it kind of made me cringe uh, that they had ninety eight points, and that's the second best total in the last fifteen years. Yada yada yada. Well, they were seventh in the Western Conference, and they were minus eight in goal differential. So 98 yeah. points doesn't Truth. really reflect yes. where they were this season. Yeah. So yeah. I, I just wish they would be a team that's, you know, 113 points, like you said, 100 points, whatever, yeah. and, and yeah. consistently. And they're always working to try to be that. So Yeah, uh, we have all the answers here because we are so <laughs> bright and we are on it. Uh, I, I saw communication is another big thing. 
just in general, um, I'm in the communication business, Mike. I don't know if you're aware of that before. or not. Infotainment. The, the great late Pat Summit once said, in the absence of feedback, people will fill in the blanks with a negative. They will assume you don't like them. Pretty good, huh? Yeah. Isn't that, that, that's gospel. That's truth right there. Yeah. And that's where, like, everybody, the importance of, of everybody understanding exactly where they stand is part of that. And the other part of it is a sharing, sharing of, it's a sharing society, Mike. I don't know if you're aware of that or not. No, I, but just, it is. Live, I just live in my own cave. But a sharing. So uh, the broadcasts this year are in the playoffs, pardon me. Uh, they need a new arena in Calgary, Mike. <laughs> Period. I, I like the old ones, but I get what you're saying. No, no, they need a new arena. Like you're miss- taking your life in your hands <laughs> when you walk across that catwalk out to the gondola to call the game. And then I I had a booth, and I'm not kidding. I could I could not see probably sixty percent of the Calgary Flames defensive zone for two periods Man, from yeah. where I sat. So I, I traveled all the way to Calgary to do that portion of the game off of my scratched up uh, Shiat uh, monitor, uh, nineteen inch, humongous, uh, and trying to figure it out. I I have seventy inch monitors when we call it from over at Bally, but I fought through it. You know why, Mike? Because it's the cup, and that's what I do. No I excuses. Fight through the fun- check. Your Get the job done. Cam Loops coach Ken Hitchcock said it's it's not about the equipment, Eddie. It's about the golfer. Wow. What about just getting the rented sticks and shooting power razor? Come on. Wow. Fight through. Uh, look, it, it stings when friends in our market complain about the ESPN or TNT broadcast of the Stars game that we did that night. That stings. Yeah. Uh, that. A Bally streaming app is coming, so there's hope. And uh, speaking of positive, I'll stick it in the positive side of things on that side. Um, And uh, the Nationals have some stuff and some kinks to work out. Yep. I can tell you that right now. And that's that's about my blanket statement on broadcast. You were were back home here, weren't you? I was. That was an interesting decision. I've got to go talk to some people about... Is it important? Is it not important? I think part of it was, um, you know, me earlier in the year with my issues, uh, having to stay home and write from the couch. And I think they thought that it went pretty well. And in a lot of ways, because of the COVID, um, it does, you're not in the locker room, so it doesn't really yeah. give you a whole lot to be there on site. Um, but it, I'll have to discuss with uh, the people in charge about, you know, how do we want to do this going forward? <laughs> it was another bizarre aspect. I look, I, at this point, it's it's not that I don't care. It's just that I I can I can do what I do in a different manner and still feel like I'm getting what what I need for the most part. Yep. Uh because there the game is fast. There's not a lot of time to to uh, you know, belt out a bunch of stories and that while the actual icings are going on within the game. Uh, but, but I would laugh, and it wasn't, it's not just us, it was everybody. You'd watch the, the actual 
you know, on-air broadcasters and that just hang out out in the hallways and that. And the digital people are running behind the stage and they're on the bench and there's all kinds of pictures. It's a very visual world we live in now, Mike. Yes. And, and brief. Uh, they, they need things quick. It, yes. Like seven seconds or whatever. Yeah. Get it. Get it in seven seconds. Get it out there. Yep. And uh, and I am uh, infinitely fascinated by the appetite for people's pupils out there to consume players walking into arenas, walking off buses, walking onto planes, walking, walking. Yep. But we get we give the people what they want. Yes, that's exactly it. That's our job. It is. Don't give them what you think they need. Give them what they want. That's how Urkel was on for 12 years or whatever. That's why this podcast continues on. <laughs> uh, the fans and the brand, they got three home playoff games and absolutely awesome dates. Yes. I don't think that was covered enough. Like they, there were, they didn't have to deal with, you know, Tuesdays and, and they, they got weekend games, Friday yep. nights. And it was, it was super for the first time since 2019, they had live playoff games at American airlines center and it didn't disappoint such a scene stars fans with late starts were just absolutely phenomenal again. And probably even better with late starts. Yes, this city likes to start extra late. lubrication, <laughs> right? Just funnel in from the party outside, and away you go. Uh, and the business of Dallas Stars hockey had a very, very good year, helped again by the little maraschino cherry of playoff games. Yep. On top of that Sunday, but revenue, tickets, merch, etc. It was a good year. I was so happy for that because it, it, look, it's been difficult on everybody, but especially on that side of things in sports in general. So to be able to fill the coffers a little bit and build that brand and and sponsorship again felt really, really good. They did an incredible job with it. So who's going to win the 2022 Stanley Cup? I didn't I mean, have... A I didn't have high hopes for the Bolts heading in. I'll be honest with you. I actually, I, I, in the back of my mind, I actually did just because oh of the God. goalie. Just oh, because of the goalie. The goalie, we've seen it with Jake. He looked Angel. exhausted at the end of the season, well, Mike. I know. He looked exhausted. That's why I wasn't picking them. But like, he looked tired, and then they lose, they lose point, and I'm like, well, that's it. That's it. They're done. But? They win game seven. Uh, without him, and then they sweep the Panthers, sweep the President's Trophy. Yes. Yeah. When when the Stars played him in the bubble, you just watched them and go, this is a really good defensive hockey team. Like, they have sticks in the lanes. They uh, finish their checks. They end plays in the corners. Little stupid things like that. And you're like, well, but that's what wins in the playoffs. And they do it. And like I said – I think somebody was saying out of six out of seven or six in a row, Vasilevsky has had a shutout in a closeout game or something like that. He's allowed one goal in the last that, six, I think, closeout You think games. of the amount of pressure, and he's getting help from his teammates, obviously, but I don't know. I like him. Yeah, well, uh, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what. Yeah, he got help from his teammates. His teammates didn't help him on the 49 saves that he had to make <laughs> against the Panthers, though, Mike. 49 of them. They were all from the perimeter. Yeah, sure they were. Tell me. 
<laughs> uh, yeah, he he's the greatest closer I've ever I've ever seen. Yeah, uh, and a sweep really helps them. Yes, now unbelievably so, and they have, like you said, such a vulcanized warrior DNA, where they. It doesn't matter who they they just do winning things. Yeah, it's it's Stam- just Stamkos is out there blocking shots but, and laying it, on the ice. But it's not they're they're not going out of their comfort zone to do it. No. It's just what they do now, yeah. because they look they had to go through all the crap and trial and disappointment. They got beat four straight by the Columbus Blue Jackets, <laughs> and didn't fire their coach and didn't do anything. Like that takes some cojones yep to stick with it there they've lost good people along yep. the way they had their entire third line that was such a game tipper for them just disintegrate they're all gone all three guys are gone all filthy rich <laughs> sure they are but they're they're not there to do that no but it shows the and value that other teams see in those three guys on they go yep way they go and the goalie yeah okay the, so the man's pretty good too who? Hedman. McDonough? No, Hedman. McDonough. Ah. Sorry. You watch McDonough. I'll do You it. watch McDonough. 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 Uh, the Avalanche, speaking of trial and error, disappointment. They they look like if they if they hold together health wise, they look like they're ready to win. The, the only like issue I have is that I don't think they have the physical defensive presence. Theirs is all, you know, I'm going to defend by possessing the puck, which is a great way to defend, honestly. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't have as big an issue with – I don't have as big an issue with that. Yeah. Although I was I was really impressed with, with uh, Goodbranson and, and Zadorov in that series against the Stars. I thought they yes. would be a liability. I thought the stars, especially at home, were going to be able to get to them, and they were just like, like rocks back there, and yeah. they played really, really, really well, and that would be sort of what you're speaking at, I believe. Uh, the Johnsons are in that yeah, size range, Eric yep. especially. Yep. Uh, the Oilers and the McMission that they're on. I, Kane, the Kane I hate, ad, the Kane ad, the Kane ad. I hate the Oilers. I hate the Kane ad. Um, but they have that thing that we talk about where, hey, what if you actually know these people and you like these people? Could that make a difference? And so the uh, AHL coach comes up and he seems to know everybody and like everybody and know how to push the right buttons and off you go. So I do, I wonder if that's going to be the X factor in all this, that these guys are having a grand time. Their coach seems to know what buttons to push and that may make the difference for them. Well, I'll tell you this. If you gave the current coach the goaltending that they had at the beginning of the season and you took Evander Kane away from them, yep. I, I'd want to see how robust the oil were. Yeah. But McDavid is... Did you see Kevin Lowe's? Uh, quote about him. I thought it was great. And, and Kevin's a smart guy. Yes. Former Hall of Famer, former Oiler, everything. Uh, but so many times McDavid gets compared to like all the greats, you know, whether it's Lemieux or Gretzky or whoever you want to go with, right? Where where does he 
fall in with all the great players. And it's tough because no, he, he's unlike anybody that's ever played. Unlike anybody that's ever played. Nobody's ever played at that rate of speed where their hands and their eyes and their head keep up to, the, to that. Um, and he's actually been handicapped by most of the guys he plays with can't keep up with him. Correct. So no, nobody can keep up with him. You know, he, he almost has to govern himself so that there's other options for him. Otherwise, it's like, well, I guess I'll just beat four guys by myself. Yeah. And he does that sometimes. But he, he said he's, he's Michael Jordan. That's who he is. Yeah. Because before Jordan, there was really nobody that played the way Jordan played, right? His airness. Yes. You could say Dr. J, I guess, a little bit, but it, it, this was different. Um, now, McDavid doesn't have any way the insane killer uh, competitive mentality, outwardly, anyway. Um, I think he's a pretty driven guy that, that people don't see in that. But that, that was I thought it was a great comparison. Like, that's, yeah. that's who he is. He's, he's Jordan on ice. He just does a lot of stuff that nobody else can do, period. Yeah. The assist on the power play goal, I thought was, they move him into the bumper, and he just whips that puck to the corner post, a far post, because he knows the guy's there, and the guy's like, "What? Well, oh, it hits me, and I gotta hit, I gotta knock this puck in." Like, yeah. McDavid envisioned a, that play. I think a fully healthy Chris Tanev eats that up, and they maybe, score but I'm just saying he envisioned that play, and his look even at us breaking it down. We're breaking it down. <laughs> we're breaking it down. Even his teammates. Look at bigger were picture, shocked. Mike. We're losing people. We're almost okay, we're done. I'm sorry. Sorry. Okay, go go go. So the Oilers with McMission, Kane. They've got Drysidle. That fourth line now that I spoke of earlier, look, Duncan Keith is not the player he was in the heyday in Chicago, but he was brought in, I believe, to help them in stuff that we never see. And you, right. it's almost through osmosis. When you bring in, we had it here. You know, you, you bring in Patrick Sharp and those guys from, from Chicago and there's, there's just a completely different uh, vibe and and subtlety to what they're either saying or doing or acting that helps the group. And I think yep. Keith has probably done that there with them. Uh, the New York Rangers, do you like them? Eh, I think they're they're. This is a step in the process. I like. I oh, I don't think they can win, no. but I like. I like them. Yeah. I, I like how they're again how they're they're built. I, I've always felt that that Andrew Andrew Cop mm -hmm. um, when I would watch or the Stars would play Winnipeg, I was like that guy. I want him yeah. now. I take Connor uh, as well, but in the in the uh, the category of little things, I was like, man, that guy looks like a guy that would help you win. Yep. And they went and got him. He was great last night. So they they have really good piece. Fox is incredible. Um, Fox is incredible. I like Zabanajad. Sometimes, you know, he, you'd like to slap him or throw his tablet on the ground. Um, Panarin's great to watch. But yeah. the goal the goalie's really good. Yes. The goalie is really good. I mean, really good. So anybody it's good else? That he got, it's good he got to this round. Because uh, I think they could have – he was struggling early. Yeah, he was. And so they, if he would have gone out in the first and had that doubt. But, I but think sometimes sometimes that's the, the paralyzing that you get 
early in playoffs too. Yep. I remember Brett Hall talked about it here when he was brought in and he felt paralyzed. I was like, you? He's like, yep. yep. Cause I was brought in to be the guy and score those goals and I couldn't, couldn't score. So the blues lost Bennington. The flames lost Tanev for the most part. I know he played last night, but he looks like 50% at Chris Tanev. Yep. Canes lost to Anderson. That's two goalies. I don't, I don't like the Canes. I hope they lose. Um, <laughs> so, so what did we solve here? Who do we have? A- absolutely nothing. Now, we have uh, the Avalanche and the Bolts in the final. Yes. Did we go too long? What happened to Mike? He just froze on us. Well, I'll wrap it up anyway because I'm done. So Mike has decided to leave a little early. There's no Columbo moment in the finale of the Podman Rush for 2022. And the Happenings wrote a hit and sang it back in the day. I can't remember what year it was, but it was called See You in September. See you in September. See you when the summer's through. Here we are, saying goodbye at the station. In this case, the podcast station. Summer vacation is taking you away. Bye, baby. Goodbye. You've been listening to The Podman Rush with Daryl Razor Ray, an official production of the Dallas Stars. To stay up to date on all things stars, visit DallasStars.com or download the official NHL app today. It's over. How long was that? I felt like we talked forever. Gear up for game day and every day at the Hangar Team Stores. From hats to jerseys, tees, and more, the Hangar has the best selection of official stars gear for every fan. For a location near you or to shop online, visit HangarHockey.com.